welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Birth Activist podcast. And as usual, Sam's with me. Hi, Sam. Hi, Becky. Today, we have a repeat offender with us, and that is the lovely Michelle Majewski. Hello, Michelle. Hi. So, Hi, Michelle. Uh, Michelle's the uh, the Limerick doula, and we spoke to Michelle. Um, gosh, must be sort of May June last year, and at the time you were pregnant with your fifth child, who was born in July. Um, and we we talked about um, your experience as a plus size woman being pregnant, and your previous births as well. Um, because obviously this is something that you're quite passionate about is supporting the plus size people giving birth isn't it yes yes definitely yeah so you've got your lovely facebook page which i love i love the photos and everything you've got on there which is a fat and pregnant that one of you with a beer bottle michelle i gotta tell you that is one of my favorite (laughs) things i've ever seen on instagram that was like wow it's great it is great so tell us, Michelle, you had your baby Iris back in July. What, uh, what was your experience like of your birth? Do you want to tell us your story? Sure. So Iris was a planned pregnancy. And um, in saying that, you know, you can make all the preparations, but there's always some things you're not prepared for. <laughs> so, yeah, I, <laughs> uh, you know, it had this was my fifth pregnancy. So I knew, knew what to expect. And as a doula, you know, you you research everything and you've supported people with different circumstances, but I really wasn't prepared. I had uh, hyperemesis. So just, and I had vomitless hyperemesis, which I suppose would be more rare. So I was, had the severe sickness up until about 16 weeks pregnancy where there was some vomiting but then after that every single day of the pregnancy there was some level of nausea and sometimes it was very minimal so I could get through the day and you know be able to function and there were other days where I was you know lying in bed or relying on a friend or my husband or my teenage son you know the poor the poor boy was had to step up in some regards to you know, looking after his siblings, if I wasn't, if I wasn't feeling too well, I'd just be upstairs. But um, yeah, so the, so the pregnancy was challenging mm-hmm. in that regard, but like everything else was fine. My, my pregnancy was really smooth sailing. Um, I, I, obviously we, we talked about like the issues that you had during pregnancy with, with your uh, being plus size and how you're sort of treated differently, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, I suppose, having the experience that I had and the advocacy work that I've done for plus size people. Like I went into that pregnancy fully prepared and my booking appointment fully prepared to tell them, you know, I really don't want to be weighed this pregnancy. Uh, You know, the self advocacy that you would teach doula clients is is exactly what I put into practice. So I felt really good, you know, really good about my pregnancy, even on the days when I wasn't feeling, you know, wonderful physically I really I suppose took charge of the pregnancy and I did opt for home birth and this was my third home birth so I went to the same private midwifery company that I had gone with before and there was a new midwife this time but I had the opportunity to get to know her and and she came to the house even during COVID because all this was (laughs) during the pandemic as well so that you know, it was, that was challenging, of course, to be pregnant during the pandemic, but it also forced me to slow down, which I think in my case was a good thing because with four children already, plus having my own business and, you know, I'm the type of person where I can just keep, I can, I can burn myself out rather quickly. So the pandemic forced me (laughs) And the nausea forced me to slow down and really yeah. focus on my pregnancy. So yeah, like I had, I had had the home births before. So I had, you know, all my bits and pieces ready, already had the birth pool that I had used last time. And um, I didn't, 
I was doing hypnobirthing as well. Now, my fourth pregnancy, I was listening to some hypnobirthing tracks. Yeah. And they were helpful. But this pregnancy, my pregnancy with Iris, I trained as a hypnobirthing teacher. And it was also excellent to do during the pandemic when anxiety levels were high. And while I was preparing for my own birth, it was, you know, it was, I'm going, it's, it was excellent to learn the material and then put it into practice as, as well. Because yes. so. yes. it gives you more of an in-depth sort of information, doesn't it, doing the training? Because I've just done my training with Mindful Mama. So it does give you that extra level of, of insight into it. Absolutely. And, you know, it was, my, my thinking was like, I know there's more to hypnobirthing than just listen to, than just listening to the tracks, which can be helpful, but I really, you know, had the ability to deep dive into it and apply it to uh, my pregnancy. And I suppose I haven't really shared this on, on any other podcast or with anybody else, um, just with a couple friends, but I remember specifically the morning I woke up feeling extreme anxiety about my birth and I remember the day because it was my birthday (laughs) and I woke up I want to say maybe it was 5 a.m and just completely unable to sleep and as a birth worker to wake up and feel all this anxiety about my birth like it really kind of threw me um because I was doing the hypnobirthing and I had you know I had like I've done this before I I've I've given birth, I've had these really great experiences. So why am I waking up so anxious about it? And Mm. that anxiety did, it was kind of like a thread through that second trimester, especially of my pregnancy. And I, I suppose I wanted to dive a little bit deeper and see like, why am I feeling so anxious about this? And at first I thought I was afraid of birth. I'm like, you know, that, like that was in my head, like you're afraid of birth. That's, that's why you feel anxious, you're afraid of birth. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, no, I'm not. I'm not afraid of birth. I've given birth before. I know everything, you know, I know so much about birth. I've supported people through birth. I'm not afraid of birth. And I just started exploring, you know, reading different books and listening to other birth workers and chatting to people. And I discovered like, I'm not, I'm not afraid of birth. What I was doubting was my own ability. Mm. That's what I was doubting. And for me, there was a distinct difference. Like I know birth is safe. I know birth is normal. I've done this before, but I was really doubting my own personal ability. And I think not even, not even people um, living in bigger bodies, but like how many women and I mean, kids in general are told you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not good enough. You know, those seeds are planted. Yes. So absolutely. so early. And I feel like sometimes within maternity care, if you're watching television programs or reading certain certain books, uh, those seeds of doubt can be planted and somewhere along the way <laughs> I had picked those up, you know, or they resurfaced. Um, because I remember some of those, you know, stories from my past the messages are really strong in society aren't they just generally for for women especially is that you know we're not good enough and we can't do things as well as as men and there's all those type things you know really going through the the messages out there isn't there absolutely Mm. absolutely and I just I felt like I was so happy that I was able to identify that during like during the actual pregnancy and I used the hypnobirthing as I prepared and like, as I say, everything went fine with the pregnancy and there were no issues, thankfully. And um, the restrictions <clears throat> in Ireland were starting to be lifted right in the summertime. So <laughs> that, that was nice for me as well to be able to get outside and go different places and walk around mm. and feel, I suppose, that little bit of freedom that, that I needed and that kind of gave me an extra boost right, right before I went into labor. But Yeah, so, I mean, my birth story, I suppose, begins with me feeling like I was completely and utterly done being pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there'll be a lot of women that can resonate with that. (laughs) I reckon it's nature's way, isn't it? It's her way of making you okay to give birth. I'm done. I'm so done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
And that's, and I feel like because Iris was my fifth and my final baby, there was a small part of me that was like, oh, I'm going to hang on to this pregnancy as long as I can, you know, I, this is going to be, it was, I saw it almost as like a closing of that chapter. So I finally, I was three days, yeah, three days past the estimated birth date. And I just, it was that evening. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm able to let go, you know, and I, I firmly, I, I think it's every, every baby, you know, I've spoken to before labor has begun and I've had a conversation, something along the lines of I'm ready for you. Your family's ready for you. Um, and I did have that boost of confidence, right. You know, right before of like, I, I am ready to do this. Like I'm yeah. no longer just this thing that's going to happen in the future. <laughs> I am ready. I have everything practically and emotionally you know, prepared. So yeah, that was on the night of the 15th. And it was 12 hours later in the morning. On the 16th, I had started to to lose my mucus plug here at home, which um, I know, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But at the same time, I was like, no, I actually know. (laughs) Like, like for me, (laughs) this is this is a sign that things are going to get moving. And that was met with so much excitement. Yes. You know, I mean, throughout the entire morning, I'd use a toilet and I'd be like, yes, things are, like now there's more. And now I'm starting to feel a little bit of cramping. And yeah, that morning, I just, I approached it like, oh, we'll see what happens. You know, no, nothing really emotionally attached to <laughs> just we'll, we'll see how things go. And I was eating and drinking and watched a, a movie that I love. And I want to say throughout that morning, I wasn't, I didn't really want to do anything to promote labor because with the four other kids in the house, I was like, I really don't want to give birth during the day. Like that's always, I feel so much safer. And, you know, that element of privacy, I suppose, when, when, when it is now dark. So I was waiting for the evening time and, and my contractions did start to pick up in the afternoon and they were, you know, coming and going real early labor type stuff. And I only had them for about four hours until six o'clock at night. And then they completely stopped. And I did, we just, honestly, our family just went about the rest of the evening, just as usual, you know, dinner, playing games, playing with toys, doing all that. And I just had a very, I suppose, laid back attitude of, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what happens. And I did tell the kids, you know, oh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll meet the baby tonight. And there was loads of excitement after dinner when we did set up the birth pool. That was one of the things where I was like, okay, I at least need to have it inflated and out and ready because I I did have, my third birth was quick. So I always wanted, I always wanted to have like that. The pool takes the longest, it can take forever to fill. So I wanted to have that set up, but yeah, so after dinner, we did that, and we got the kids into bed, and I just suppose and intuitively, I knew. I just knew. I was like, and I said it to my husband. I said, watch. Once the kids are in bed, and I feel like I can really relax, I promise you things will will start happening. <laughs> I love that, Michelle. I love that. That's what I say to the women in my group all the time. Your intuition is your greatest gift. You're knowing, and you knew. Yeah, I just... I just knew and the kids like I I got the last few bits ready like anything that would have made noise and could have potentially woke them up I made sure that we did but like so we did those practical things they got into bed a little bit later than usual but once they were in bed and the house was quiet like immediately immediately the contractions started again and (laughs) (laughs) we just um we had we live in a little estate so we just walked around walked it did a loop couple loops around the estate and the contractions were still coming and going and my husband and I returned to the house and we just I mean I'm very much like early labor I'm kind of like well do what you want you know you're not do 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 what's normal and so the contractions were coming and going and we were just watching a little bit of television <laughs> and then then there was a shift there was a distinct shift where I was like, I cannot watch the TV anymore. <laughs> I went from <laughs> super laid back to turn this off. I'm done yeah. watching television. This is now getting more challenging. And I did start 
swapped from television to hypnobirthing tracks and doing my breathing. And yeah, my husband and my son, he turned 17. So they were, they were filling the pool and getting everything ready. And I retreated to upstairs, our bedroom. And I thought, okay, because I had been up, I had been up all day. I did try to nap. It was not happening. Like I was, I was too excited. I think I too excited. I think at that stage, but so I, I came upstairs to just kind of relax and throughout my entire pregnancy, I suppose there's, there's a fear of the unknown and mm. it wasn't a distinct, when we talk about intuition, it wasn't a distinct feeling to me like something's going to go horribly wrong. That wasn't what I was getting. But there was this, and I felt it for months. There was a small element of me that just felt like, like I have everything organized, everything practically. And, but I just had a feeling like something's going to go wrong. Like this, I don't think this is going to go 100% to plan. So, mm. And I couldn't shake the feeling. And so I just, but, but like I released it, I was like, whatever's going to be is going to be birth is unpredictable, but you're prepared for anything. But in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, something is going to happen. And it wasn't anything major, but I can't. So anyway, I came upstairs, was relaxing in bed, rang my midwife, let her know, you know, you might want to start heading down. She was a, she was a little, she was close to two hours away. Um, but I just let her know. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so lovely. I'm going to lay here in bed and relax. And <laughs> Had, had my good energy and good <laughs> everything laid out and um my husband came upstairs and he just it was it was dark I had made it nice and dark and comfortable and he said we have a major problem Ooh. and his eyes were watering like he he was upset because he knew I was going to be upset and I just I was like what what could possibly like what could possibly be wrong right now and I went downstairs and there was a puncture in the pool. Oh, no. Yeah. So, so and I absolutely love water birth. My, my two previous home births were in water. Like, I just think it is the most relaxing, soothing place to be for me. So I had envisioned being in that pool and now it was approaching was approaching midnight at this stage and I <laughs> and it wasn't the side of the pool it was the bottom of the pool oh and we, gosh yeah it was it was the bottom and we had inflated like we had inflated it and waited 24 hours so like we did our test run and everything so I don't know you know one of those bizarre things that happened but thankfully I ra- I rang a doula doula friend that I know and I just said oh my goodness I am in labor do you have a pool (laughs) and thankfully she did Uh, she was 45 minutes away and like she had her young children at home so she wasn't able to bring it to me so like immediately at midnight I got into problem solver mode I was like you know I wasn't I told my husband I was like okay you need to empty the warm water out of that pool like you know those big um, plastic storage containers that you can use for clothing or you know yeah. whatever the case may be you know you could fit a small toddler into one that's what <laughs> that's, that's what that's what I had him do I was like I'm gonna start calling people you start getting that hot water out of there put it into the plastic container so when a, the other pool arrives we don't have to fill this from scratch you know we don't yeah. have to try to reheat water um and in doing that, like the doula answered and I had a friend uh, who left to go collect the birth pool. So I had everything in place, but it totally shifted the course of my labor. Like I was no longer upstairs and relaxed. I had shifted into problem solver thinking brain. So like immediately the surges that I was having that felt really manageable all of a sudden, like I like stress you know, the effect stress can have on your labor. I, I felt it immediately. <laughs> so I, so I, like, I felt the stress rise. I solved this problem. I knew everybody was, you know, everything was in motion to make this happen. Uh, so then I was like, 
then I started having this internal dialogue with myself basically for the remainder of, of my labor where I was constantly chatting to myself, you know, Michelle, everybody's doing what they can. You've done what you can control. Now just try to relax. Like I was in my total hypnobirthing <laughs> voice of now just bring it all down. So, <laughs> so ultimately, you know, what I was trying to do and I thought for, you know, there were some moments where I thought, okay, well, I didn't want to labor during the day. So I didn't. So maybe if I just think labor won't progress, it won't. (laughs) 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 And that didn't, that didn't work so much the second time. So labor (laughs) just kept, (laughs) just kept ticking along and I made peace, you know, you know, throughout all of this. So it was from midnight until 2 AM. So for two hours, I was basically in my, you know, the nursing chairs, the little rocking chairs that you can buy for nursing, nursing your baby. I was in one of those, found my rhythm in one of those kind of rocking back and forth, my husband by my side. But that two hours really was me just feeling like I was waiting for everybody to get there. Mm. You know, like, like my friend Marta I was like Marta's gone to get the pool now I'm waiting for her to get here I'm waiting for the midwife I'm waiting for everybody and it wasn't annoyance it was just impatience of like okay I need people to get here before I can birth this baby was was, was what was going through my head of you know and I think I was I, I told my husband exactly what I needed when I needed it and he, you know, this wasn't his first time, time supporting me. So he, he knew as well, you know, food, drink. I told him to get everything organized. So when the next pool arrived, they could just, you know, dump all the water in, inflate and dump all the water in. And it, it, things had started to get more and more intense. So I knew, like, I could just, you know, see the timeline of birth and I'm, watching my body just tick all the boxes getting closer and closer <laughs> closer and closer in my mind and um, but yeah my my friend arrived with the birth pool and my husband had asked me between contractions now like now obviously more intense certainly in active labor he asked me straight out because he knows you know one of the one of the reasons I chose to give birth at home was because I wanted less people in my birth birth space I birth much better if there's fewer people there so he asked me straight out you know when Marta gets here with the birth pool do you want me to tell her to leave (laughs) or you know if she tries to stay what do you want me to do yeah um and at first I I couldn't give him an answer I could not I was like I don't know how I'm gonna feel we're just gonna have to wait until she gets here and you know I wasn't I wasn't like getting complete sentences out was at that point was super challenging. So I just said, I don't know. We'll wait until she's here. And she arrived and she had the pool and I, Oh, there was so like the sense of relief when she, I think I started crying. I was so relieved (laughs) when she got there. I was so relieved when she got there and straight away, you know, my husband that had been at my side now became the facilitator of the birth pool putting the water back in the pool yeah yeah getting the now getting the pool inflated plus filled and that wasn't what I had pictured either because now I had no like I was in this rocking chair still in in the sitting room with the pool being filled with nobody next to me and the midwife hadn't arrived at that time the midwife had not arrived yet so my friend I don't I didn't even speak I just motioned her to come by my side she has one child herself but she's like she's not a birth professional she's never seen anybody in labor or give birth (laughs) so (laughs) suddenly suddenly my friend is you know putting a cool cloth on my head and holding my hands and you know she was I want to say the closest person to like a mother figure do you know what I mean like you know how you just envision your mother taking care of you and that was totally what she was doing for me. And I told her repeatedly, like, don't leave. I was like, don't leave my side. I need you here. And she was wonderful having no experience, as I say, supporting anybody. Um, But then my midwife arrived about 10 or 15 minutes later. And 
again, a huge sigh of relief of like, okay, now, like now people are arriving, things, things, things are more like what I pictured in my head. And um, throughout my pregnancy, when I met with the midwife, I told her multiple times, I was like, I'm kind of, um, I don't really like people touching me a lot when I'm in labor. That's specifically what I said to her. So like, Mm -hmm. if if you do want to, you know, check baby's heart rate, or you want to feel something, I said, please just ask first, I will more than likely say yes. But you know, I do want that little bit of a warning. So I told her I don't really like to be touched. And then she walked in the door. And all I wanted was her to be like touching me the entire time. (laughs) So, you know, you can, I, I had gone through, you know, every birth is just different and other births, I didn't want people touching me, but this time, and I also didn't ask my friend to leave. I wanted her on one side and the midwife on the other. And I had like a group, you know, it was, I had a lovely group of people supporting me and my husband kept coming back and forth, but really he was, he was taking care of the pool and that just demonstrates, to... Michelle, what we know as doulas, isn't it? That, you know, you can put all these plans into place, but you really just don't know what you're going to feel like actually on the day in that moment. Yeah, totally. It sounds like such a beautiful circle of, mm. I'm assuming here, women or women together, Michelle? Help me, husband. Yeah, yeah. Apart from my husband, it was it was the three ladies. Yeah. So my friend was on, on one side and my midwife on the other, and she was she was, of course, doing all, all the clinical things, you know, all those tasks as well as noting when she arrived. She did not ask to check dilation. And we had had a conversation as well where I said, you know, if, if there's no reason, then I don't want to. And I was seated in, I was seated in that chair continuing to rock <laughs> back and forth. Like, I just didn't. And, you know, I, I really communicated with her, though. Like I, at this point, I wasn't trying to think like, how close am I, you know, how close am I to birthing this baby? I was just trying to get through each surge as it came. And she was doing all the clinical parts and my friend, although, you know, they both were, were doing different things. And I would call my husband over if, if there was a surge that was particularly challenging. But I, at one point I became very childlike yeah. during my birth and that's actually how my midwife kind of described it was I became very um, vulnerable mm. you know I suppose I showed a bit more vulnerability than I would have any of my other births where I looked at her and I said Anne I'm I'm really scared you know I'm very I'm very comfortable in this chair and I want to stay in this chair but I also feel like I need to get up but the pool isn't ready and I asked her multiple times like what's going on with the pool? Is it because I, I had my eyes closed this whole time. So I was like, is the pool being filled? What's going on with the pool? Somebody tell me. And also communicating, like, it was busy. Mm. The room was very busy. And that's not also not how I had pictured my birth being I had pictured this really calm, soothing, serene experience, where like everything has been done already not this race to get the pool filled, if you will. So there was a lot of, there was a lot going on around me and I was still trying to focus, but um, yeah. So I just, I rode the last, I gave, I gave birth shortly after 3 a.m. So it was only an hour. It was only, <laughs> it was only an what hour. What happened in that time? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an hour of, you know, all the contractions and me talking to myself and also giving my, my baby, I didn't know I was having a girl. So giving my baby permission to, to also arrive when they were ready. And I think that's one of the things that was important for me as well is we can get, I saw myself getting, I don't want to say hung up on a certain experience, but I could, you know, I knew deep in my heart, like I wanted to give birth in that pool. And that could have completely stressed me out during the labor. So I really did release that you know the three hours between you know between the pool puncture and my daughter's birth you know there were moments where I did say to her like if if you need to arrive now if you need to come now you absolutely can even if I'm not like it was having a full conversation (laughs) I was like I'm ready when you are and if it and if it doesn't happen in the pool that's okay it doesn't have to happen in the pool and 
basically just trusting the process, trusting my body and baby to know what to do. And, but I did disclose, you know, to my midwife, like, I'm scared. I, you know, I, I'm in this chair, but I feel like I should get up and I don't really know what to do. And essentially, you know, there came a time where she said, Michelle, if you want to get up, you can get up. And I did, there was at one point, I basically, I like, I was done. I was sick of it. I was like, I'm sick of being, in this, I'm sick of being in this chair. And I did tell my midwife as well. Like, I feel like I'm holding back because the pool isn't ready. Yeah. Like I feel, you can feel baby descending into your pelvis and I could just like, I knew she was right there. I could just feel all the weight. And it got to a point where it was like, it was like now or never. It's like, I'm either going to get up and get into that pool now, or I'm going to have to birth outside of it. So yeah. Yeah. So I got up and I started walking over to the pool. And of course, all the intensity of my surges (laughs) suddenly eased. And I really wished I had stood up or or been more active. But anyway, I walked over to the pool and got in. And, you know, people, people talk about birth is, you know, it is tough. It is challenging. But I got into the pool and I was laughing and smiling and so absolutely relieved <laughs> to be in the water. <laughs> oh, so lush. So yeah. lovely, Michelle. Oh yeah. I just I just got in and I I I can't describe it. It was like one of the mo one of the best feelings because I had just longed to be in there. And as soon as I got in, there was that familiarity of my prior birth of like, here we go. This is this is going to happen now. And I just again I intuitively knew. I intuitively knew that I was holding back because I wasn't in the pool. I intuitively knew that as soon as I got in there, things were going to move along. And I got in and I smiled and I laughed, which helps release and open all your muscles as well. And my husband stepped away for for a few seconds. And I told him, uh, you know, if you want to meet your baby, I suggest you come over here now because I think this is going to be happening. And yeah, so I, and the pool was lovely. It was a different style than, than what I had. And it was like, it was more full than what I thought. Like the temperature was perfect. It was really full. There was a, a built-in stool, which my pool didn't have. So it was perfect for like resting my arms on that stool, if you will, that in, that seat. So I had my, my hands there and I was on my knees just like, just like my other two home births, you know, it's just the position I always kind of assume. Um, but yeah, like everything was going really well. And then the next contraction came and my waters released and I had no idea. I mean, I don't, I don't really hold a lot of value in kind of the, the guesses of what baby's going to weigh. And I had no clue, but, um, as my waters broke and I felt baby moving down, I could immediately tell that this baby was bigger. Like (laughs) immediately I was like, wow. And, but like, I was was laughing and smiling while going through this process, which I had never done before. I was, I think there was so much relief to be honest, like so much relief to just be in there. And I was, absolute I could not I could not wait to meet meet my baby so yeah there was there were three more pushes and you know how you read about people roaring their baby out I totally and completely roared this baby out vocally (laughs) I don't know how my toddler did not wake up but it was super it was very very intense it was the most it was the most intense crowning that I've ever experienced as well. That was the most challenging part, I would say, was the crowning. But my body. I think of a course, lot of people would agree with you as well, Michelle, generally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had never, my four prior births, I never, you know, I never, I never would have said that was the most intense bit. So this was something new for me. And I was so happy the midwife was there because she caught me holding my breath. Right. When I felt that overwhelm, she immediately saw my shoulders go up and me hold my breath. And she was like, Michelle, you can, you can let your body push. You can push and breathe. <laughs> you can push and breathe at the same time. <laughs> so her guidance was wonderful. And yeah, like I, it was really 
amazing again to like and I felt could I felt baby's head as she was emerging and again I was like wow this baby is big and (laughs) (laughs) I saw her under the water got to discover you know the sex of baby and bring her up and yeah I mean all those lovely bits where you're just noticing you know oh she had hair and she had loads of vernix and you know her little fingers little toes all those oxytocin high you know feelings and that you get after you have your baby and it was it was absolutely wonderful and I also I forgot to mention as well I had a birth photographer a friend of mine is a professional photographer and so my birth was like the first birth she's ever been at but it was also wonderful not to have to worry about so my husband was right there by my side and no one you know no worrying about who's who's taking the pictures or anything we had somebody doing that for us but I've gotten some lovely pictures of those moments as well and yeah so it was it did go incredibly to plan but it was it would it went as well as it could have and and I think when, when you know it is your last baby, I guess there is almost a subconscious pressure. You put that pressure on yourself that this this needs to be good. This needs, I need to tick all my boxes that I want to achieve because it's not happening again. Right. <laughs> no, and do you know, I want, I certainly felt that way as well, where I was like, this is the last time I'm going to be giving birth. I hope, you know, like, like, I hope it goes well. I hope I've never had a cesarean. So I was like, I really don't want my last birth to be a cesarean. Like the things we say to ourselves, like it would have been fine if it was a cesarean, but I still, you know, really wanted that home birth. And how much did she weigh, Michelle? So yeah, after, after she was out of the water, my midwife did say like, yeah, I definitely, she's definitely bigger than what, (laughs) what I think we all anticipated. So yeah, she was 10 pounds, 13 ounces. Fantastic. Yeah. And like, Beautiful. I didn't have, I had no gestational diabetes. I had no, like during my pregnancy, of course, you know, I felt there were days where I felt, oh, you know, the bump is just so big and, you know, but there was no point where I went, this is going to be a big baby. Not once throughout my entire pregnancy, did anybody say, or did I ever think, you know, she was going to be larger than, you know, eight pounds, 13 ounces or eight pounds, 14 ounces, whatever the, you know, diagnostic Mm. number is like, I never looked down at my bump and thought, yeah, this bump is way bigger than my other ones. (laughs) (laughs) Never, but um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a shock, but it was, she was happy and healthy and my two well, I, they're not really the middle children, but my eight-year-old and my five-year-old were at some point woke up during the labor and they were kind of waiting in the front, waiting in our front hall. They didn't know if they should come in oh, or not. Funny. Yeah. So they were just kind of, they were just waiting there <laughs> and the door was closed. But as soon as they heard the baby cry, they came in. Oh, how lovely. It, yeah. Just absolutely amazing to see you know and there my photographer has this you know I look at this picture of Iris and I in the pool and my two children are just looking in and like their faces you know like think of like the magic of Christmas this was like the magic of birth (laughs) (laughs) of them just looking down and absolutely amazed so yeah it was amazing that they can you know experience that and know that you can birth a baby at home safely you know there's so many children out there that are just you know following the footsteps of the parents that think that they have to go to hospital or that birth is dangerous or that birth is something that you know shouldn't be celebrated or shouldn't be a happy experience but that's just such an amazing gift for them yeah yeah, it was it was wonderful. And to have them involved in the after like afterward as well, there were so the photographer got pictures of them and us and we did umbilical cord burning as well. No. So, yeah, yeah. So they they were all holding the candles and oh. it's just a really really lovely moments with them as well and just to have them join in and before I went into labor we had been watching some home birth videos on YouTube so and that I was amazed so I would play 
not, I think it was maybe on three occasions, I would just play a couple videos and, you know, fast forward to, you know, find births that, that would, I suppose, resemble more of what I was hoping for. And like the, the amount of questions that they have is so fascinating. Like my daughter, mm-hmm. there, in one of the videos, there was a woman who was in labor and she went for a walk. And my daughter said, well, you know, if she's having her baby, why is she walking? And it just created kind of all these pathways to conversations of like er- in early labor, you know, when baby isn't arriving immediately, a lot of times you can cook or clean or go for a walk or mm-hmm. watch television. So, you know, in preparing them, I, I, you know, was preparing them for whatever they might see yeah. on the day or night. So, yeah, it, it, I, I absolutely love home birth and the ability that you can involve family and yeah, it was. And, and you know, uh, despite everything uh, that, that, you know, you're told during pregnancy, you know, you did it and you had a big baby <laughs> in inverted commas uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a high BMI in the pool at home. And baby number five. I mean, Michelle, you didn't explode. <laughs> <laughs> They can be done in in the home birth group. I learned yesterday. I thought the biggest baby in the home birth group was eleven pound four, but it wasn't. It was baby number ten, and it was eleven pound fifteen. She was eleven pound fifteen. Completely hands off, no intervention, no stitches, no nothing. Um, And if you think, I think Michelle, do you feel that you were protected from a lot of the? NHS stuff, coercion, whatever word you want to call it, because you had a private midwife. Because I'm also hearing of women who are having babies that are classed as big, and again, we use that word in inverted commas, um, forced to go, yeah, and forced is the word, against their wishes, with various inherent threats to go into hospital after they've had perfectly normal births of perfectly normal babies, because apparently all big babies have to go to hospital now. No, I that was one of the reasons I specifically chose the private midwifery care. Now, in Ireland, you can go public, but if you go public, you do have to, you know, you're still going, whether you go public or private, you're still meeting with your doctor in the maternity throughout pregnancy. So it's more right. of a, um, what I, it's like a mix, you know, mix of seeing your home birth midwife and the consultant at the same time. And many people are perfectly happy with that of all, you know, all shapes and sizes are perfectly happy to take, do that pathway of care. Me and the type of person I am, however, um, I, I went in this pregnancy really open-minded and I did go to my booking appointment in the maternity and <laughs> it was that initial booking appointment that really showed me why I should not continue going. And like, everybody's going to feel differently about it, but my booking appointment, you know, in Ireland, it's like a two, a two hour visit where they go over all your history and prior births and all of that. Yeah. And one of the things that I chose to decline because I was, because again, you know, last pregnancy, I was like, I want to do this pregnancy how I want to do this pregnancy. I'm not going to let anybody talk me into doing something or, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do something that I really don't feel good about just for the, you know, convenience of somebody else. So I chose this pregnancy not to have any scans. And at my booking appointment, they made a massive deal Mm -hmm. about me not wanting to have a scan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was to the point of let's, So I initially declined, I declined a second time and I declined a third time, but it was to the point of like, let's wear her down Mm. to the point of until she consents. And I stuck, you know, stuck, stuck to what I was feeling and I did not consent to the scan and everything was fine afterward, but I left that booking appointment. And I also wanted to, to decline the routine group B strep testing so I, de- I declined those two things and it, and it was just the pressure that was put on me to consent to things that I didn't want to. And I just, I left that, that booking appointment with an incredible migraine because mm. of, the, you know, just, just the stress of having to deal with people asking you the same questions over and over. And now we're going to get our supervisor because if we haven't convinced you, we're going to try to see if somebody else can. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was, I just, I left that appointment and I did, I rang my 
I rang my private midwife and I specifically asked her, I said, you know, with your company, is there a certain number of visits that I have to have? Or can I just make this booking appointment, the one and only (laughs) appointment that I go to? (laughs) And it was, I did go in. So that was the only appointment I had at the maternity. They did my bloods. Um, But, you know, there, I did avoid, I avoid, I would never, personally, I would never consent to growth scans. You know, I, baby's weight really didn't, Really, it wasn't a big thing for me because I knew I could birth whatever, whatever size baby my body was growing. But, you know, it's amazing to me. And I know this is an issue all across the globe. But the number of women that I hear, you know, are going to these scans, it, it feels like 90% of people are being told they're having a big baby. It's either that or a small baby. There's growth yeah, scans like for everybody. None of them are right. And then, and then if they're not big or small... Their stomach's wrong. Their abdomen is wrong. <laughs> Something's <It's> wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. Something's always, you know, running the home birth group, we're at the point now where, I think I said this this morning, yeah, I did, but where people are apologising if they have a nice appointment because mm. so many of our members aren't. And what I'm seeing on the increase now as well, you know where you declined the growth scans? Mm-hmm. Them being booked, you know, I'm declining growth scans. I'm not being, I'm not, you know, some of them every two weeks. And this isn't, I haven't had permission to share this, but equally, this isn't one person's story. Yeah, this yeah. is a pattern that is developing in the group. I'm not sharing any individual experience here. Something I've noticed is this: I'm booking these scans, even though you've declined them. Yeah. And what I'm suggesting to, to the people in the group now is, you need to write to your head of midwifery, which is a whole different issue because I'm seeing also maternity voices partnerships gatekeeping heads of midwifery. So when we're looking for contact details ahead of midwifery, I'm suggesting that they speak to the MVP to get the head of midwifery's details, only for them to be told that they're not allowed to have the head of midwifery details and they have to go through the MVP. And, and they get back to me and I'm like, no, you know, they're not there to gatekeep. If you want to speak to the head of midwifery, you can speak to and, and emailing them and saying in this time of crisis, in a national pandemic, why is your midwife wasting resource by booking serial growth scans every two weeks that I have declined as I have no intentions of going to? So she's wasting her time, the booking in person's time, the sonographer's time and anyone yeah. else involved in appointments that I'm not going to. Yeah, I don't yeah. understand this, but you can't even decline them. Thing no. that's beginning to yeah. develop. And this was obviously something that we, we touched on in, in the first podcast that you, you did with us, Michelle, wasn't it? Um, and that which is leads me on to, you know, one of the reasons why you came back to chat to us today, other than obviously telling us your wonderful birth story, which is absolutely amazing. amazing. I, love it. I love your birth story, Michelle. You've never heard us so quiet on a podcast when we were listening to your birth story. I just got this beautiful vision of you rocking on your rocking chair, yeah, just sat yeah. there rocking, rocking with your friend one side and your independent midwife the other, while your husband runs around somewhere with these big white containers of water little corner of serenity while there's all this madness going on this is what I'm envisaging in my head anyway <laughs> that's exactly what, what it was like <laughs> so Michelle you obviously uh, continue to advocate for for plus size uh, people giving birth and you've got the lovely Instagram page which we will link in the bio as usual um, but I hear you are writing a book a book Yes. So I'm writing and editing, mostly editing. Now this, the book that I'm writing is called Fat Birth, and it's really going to be a collection of birth stories. And I suppose the the inspiration came from just being a plus size person myself. And so many people, when they are looking for resources, they're either very limited which they are, yeah. or you know, if, if you go to the internet and you, and you do a search plus size pregnancy or fat pregnancy or pregnancy and obesity, which I never really use that. Um, but anytime you would type anything in most times, 99% of what you're going to find are basically really fat shaming articles yeah. or, you're, or you're going to find research that you know, isn't, doesn't really fully explain the higher chances of certain complications. So uh, we all, 
we all know that, you know, there's certain conditions, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, hypertension, all those go up if you do have a higher BMI. But what I tell everybody and what I focused on in my own pregnancy was that BMI is flawed anyway. You know, the, the criteria for BMI does, does not indicate anything regarding health. So I, my, my advocacy work really is around normalizing plus size pregnancy and that whether you have gestational diabetes or hypertension or anything of that nature doesn't say anything else about your pregnancy. You can have a positive pregnancy as a plus size person. You can have a positive birth and pregnancy as a plus size person with gestational diabetes or hypertension or preeclampsia. Yeah. You know, we, we really, there's no hierarchy of what makes a good pregnancy or a good birth. Anyone and everyone has the ability to navigate pregnancy with positive mindset without negativity and with respect and dignity that every single person on this planet deserves no matter their shape or size so everyone is entitled to respectful as you just said those last two words they want to pull them out everyone is entitled to respectful dignified maternity care everybody size regardless conditions regardless health regardless kindness and compassion doesn't cost anything and what i you know what i said yesterday is why would you go to an appointment made for you without discussion with you so that somebody that you don't want to see can give you permission to do something that you already have the right to do yeah would you do that in anything else except pregnancy like mm-hmm. if, if, I, if I just got a random letter sending me to a consultant appointment, I wouldn't go. If I'd have no, right. like, yeah, oh, anyway, I'm, I'm ranting yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're okay. And I, I really started looking at the different resources during my fourth pregnancy. And it was really kind of in between pregnancies. I, I picked up, you know, more of the advocacy bit of it and the activism and really advocating for people in bigger bodies who are looking for that respectful, dignified care that's given with compassion and where they are treated like more than their BMI or whatever number may show up on the scale. And the biggest message that I want people to know is your weight isn't the most important thing. Absolutely. Ever. In any, in any mm-hmm. aspect of life, including pregnancy, your weight is just one piece of a very large puzzle. You know, your mental health matters. You know, if you drink, if you smoke, what's your activity level? You know, there's so many other things that impact pregnancy. Yeah. And you know, do you know what, what I said the other day? Your egg, your egg from your body, your voluptuous, beautiful body with your partner created this baby that is inside you. The miracle that you are growing. There is nothing wrong with you and this baby because this baby is inside you you made it so you yeah. are the right person for that baby right and it's shock it does shock me when i started the instagram the instagram page fat and pregnant that you know i didn't know you start in, you start different accounts or whatever the case may be and you don't know who's how many people are going to follow who's yeah. you know who's going to ask questions but i was amazed at the flood of people i had contacting me who really are doubting every single aspect of themselves and every aspect of their pregnancy because we are told being fat is wrong being fat is bad being fat is shameful how dare you be fat and pregnant and I want to completely hopefully change the narrative and my book is is really because there is so much negative information out there so much catastrophizing of of pregnancy fat pregnancy my book is going to focus on those positive birth stories. And that's what's going to be most of most of the book. So if anybody has a story to share, <laughs> I'd, so you're, I'd love you're still you looking to submit. You're still looking for stories, Michelle, then? Yes, yes. So I still I still have some room for stories. So if anybody does that. want to submit, they absolutely can. If if and some people have asked, well, what do you mean by plus size? I can't, you know, I can't tell anybody 
how they identify. But if you are a person who gave birth and you identify as plus size, no matter, you know, I, I don't put a BMI, <laughs> a no. BMI of if your BMI is over this. Michelle doesn't know her BMI. For all of our listeners, I asked Michelle earlier, not because I was being rude, but because I was doing some research on Michelle as I happen to have it to hand. Michelle doesn't know. Yeah, it's not a relevant point to you, is it, Michelle? And I think that's really no. important. No, yeah. and that's that's one of the things that I also declined during my pregnancy was being weighed. And in in so a, a large section of the book is going to be those those birth stories, if anybody wants to share in all different types. So um, not just home birth, but, you know, home birth, free birth, hospital birth, cesarean, vaginal delivery, medicated, unmedicated. If you gave birth on, in your car on the side of the road. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, who did the podcast with you last time, has got a beautiful birth story. I'll message her when we get off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that's going to be the biggest section of the book. And then the other the other parts of the book, which I am writing, are really the childbirth basics and what pregnancy and birth might look like as a plus size person and going over, you know, what the absolute risk of gestational diabetes. So not the relative risk, but the absolute risk and what that means. And actual stats would be good from the nice guidelines to stop trusts making them up as they go along. <laughs> so, Michelle, what we'll do is uh, in the bio for the podcast, we'll put links on there for for um, people that want to submit their stories for the book. Um, do you have like a deadline, or do you have have you got a goal for when the book's going to be released this year? So, what I am hoping, of course, you know, COVID has impacted many things, and yeah. so the stage I'm the stage I'm at now is I am writing, I am getting the birth stories. I'm hoping to have all of them by the end of February. So if anybody wants to submit, I'm hoping to have everything compiled by the end and edited by the end of February. And what I'm going to be doing is self-publishing the book. So I'm going to be starting a Kickstarter campaign to raise the funds so this book can get into as many hands as possible. So it will cover formatting, printing, distribution, um, both in the, you know, any in all countries, anybody will be able to purchase the book. So that's my next step. Fantastic. And yeah. So, and right now I'm just looking, I'm going to be making a video for the Kickstarter, which with COVID and in Ireland, we would have, you know, more of, we're in, currently in the most uh, restrictive lockdown. So I can only travel five kilometers from my home. So getting wow. anybody to come to me to help film or go somewhere isn't really a possibility and like it's it's a like it is being self-published but it is a complete team effort yeah you know so the cover artist and all the people that submit and anybody who submits a story is getting a free copy of the book as well so and they could submit pictures because I wanted to want people to submit pictures of themselves and their beautiful babies if, if they want to include in the book so yeah I'm excited about it and to get people the evidence-based information of, you know, what an induction is really like, <laughs> you know, so, and introducing all those topics that people might have questions about, and how to advocate, you know, hints and tips on advocating for themselves, and how to make yeah. those informed decisions, and all the lovely bits that I wish I would have known, you know, going into pregnancy and birth the first time as a plus-size person, and so yeah, yeah. well when you uh, when you need that publicizing um michelle do send us the details and we can pop, pop it out on all our social media as well uh, i definitely will be putting money into that to get to get a copy of the book for my clients as well i've had a couple of clients recently actually uh, that come under the the plus size bracket in terms of what the nhs uh, stipulate anyway um, who have found found the the first podcast that we did uh, together with Sarah uh, really really informative and really helpful. Oh, fab! Perfect. That sounds good. So, is there anything else you want to say before we sort of round up the podcast today, Michelle? I don't think so. I don't think so. Other than what I tell everybody is trust your body, trust your baby. <laughs> that's that's universal. Anything <laughs> <laughs> for me, my love. No, I, Michelle, you are a breath of fresh air. I'm so absolutely thrilled that we've spoken to you today. And I'm leaving this podcast with a massive 
massive smile on my face. <laughs> you are lovely you to talk to, Michelle, and you definitely can come back again. Perfect. And Thanks, again. ladies. I appreciate it. Okay, Thank so we'll you. say goodbye for today then and see everybody on the next podcast. Bye, Michelle. Bye, Sam. Bye, Michelle. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time. Thank you.